Hello and welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins. I am the host of this podcast. I am also CEO and founder of NC Real Estate, which is my firm of surveyors, which supports landlords and property investors to come and build mixed use and commercial property portfolios. If you want to find out more about that, head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk, where you can find out everything to do with our services. I am so excited today. I have a really special guest with me. Hi, Alistair. Hi, Natasha. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I have Alistair Hoyne here from Finance. I'm very excited to delve into everything lending, commercial and SaaS and how we get lending. Um, But I really wanted to start with a quick overview. What is finance, Alistair? So finance are a property finance um, finance company. <laughs> um, we uh, operate across the market. With every lender that exists, we're always finding new lenders. Just found another one last week, funny enough. Um, we do bridging and development finance, uh, buy-to-lets, uh, commercial mortgages, residential mortgages, regulated bridging, um, SaaS lending. Uh, we've just done a, a QNUPS funding as well, um, which is unusual. And um, I think we're, we're most well known for creating custom products for our clients. So we have a, a very special product designed for title splits, which allows clients to borrow up to 100% of purchase price in the right situation. We've got uh, development funding for SASs that allow you to actually build residential property and then exiting it before it becomes a taxable event in your SAS. Um, we've got revolving credit facilities, both traditional and Sharia compliant. Um, to be honest, it's, you know, we don't like, uh, as Natasha was saying to me earlier, we don't like no uh, for an answer. We are sure we'll, 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 we'll see what we can find. And if not, we'll try and create it for you. And if we can't create the exact version, we'll create something that is close as possible to what you need. Because I think that's really what finance is about. It's there are the off the shelf products. Um, which we can get access to, of course, and generally because of our size and volume of business, we can negotiate very competitive rates. Um, but, you know, it, it's the fact that, you know, funding or any type of transaction, it, it's very much custom in, in, in its nature. You know, these products were created because someone asked for them in the first place. So getting new products created for you and your needs isn't that challenging. Um, it's probably part of the reason why I spend so much of my time with lenders buying them drinks so that they come and support us. <laughs> well, that's a good strategy. So, yeah, so we've, um, you know, so we'll lend on anything, ideally. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, you know, residential property, commercial property, semi-commercial property, land with and without planning. Um, we've done about 540 million in terms since we launched last September. We're currently live on about 280 million pounds worth of property. Um, and we... Again, we don't mind what size the, the transaction. You know, the, the smallest transaction we've done was twenty-five thousand. Uh, the largest one we're currently doing is for a hundred million. So, you know, it doesn't matter what stage you are in your in your investment career. Um, you know, we'll we'll start with you from the beginning, uh, and uh, or or if you're experienced as well, we'll show you why we're better than whoever you're currently using. And I have to say, the hardest working brokers in the industry. We're recording this on a bank holiday Monday. Um, and as much as Alistair and I are here recording this podcast, I can see this team in the background in my emails working with my clients still trying to find them deals on a Monday, on a bank holiday Monday. Who else is doing that? 
I, I would like to think it's because we all love, we don't consider this a job, right? We, we actually are passionate and, and mm-hmm. love what we do. Um, you know, in, in my instance, you know, after, after a career in sort of banking and, uh, and, and fund management and, and consulting, I decided that I wanted to now finally do something that I truly enjoyed. And I was always passionate about finance. Um, and it just meant that, you know, I could hopefully show and convey that passion to others because, you know, for a lot of people, you know, buying a house is the, the most expensive thing they will ever do in their life. You know, so you want someone professional that's going to take care of you and, and think about your best interests, you know, rather than just someone that's, you know, selling a product like it was in a supermarket. You know, it's, you know, people spend so much time researching, you know, I think you need you need to be working with someone that's as passionate about what you're doing and and and, and respect, you know, respect, you know, how much this is going to cost and, and, and your risk. So, yeah, you'll always find us working all hours. I mean, it's like I was joking with you earlier. I mean, I was on holiday, but I was finding excuses to have work calls. I'm like, who can I call now that I can catch up with and just see how they're doing? You know? Your poor fiance. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so at least she got a ring, right? You know, so, you know, exactly. over the so that, was a, that was a win. start with the elephant in the room um essentially the UK is in recession as much as that's not been formally announced we pretty much are right and interest rates will obviously have to go up at some point again to curb that how do you see that going at the moment well it's interesting right because I think Recession is definitely on its way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, stagflation, probably an even bigger concern. So rising interest rates with rising inflation and decreasing, uh, increasing cost of living, uh, job uh, losses, uh, everything. It's going to really, I think it's going to be quite a big hit uh, because ultimately when quantitative easing started back in sort of 2007 after the global financial crisis, all the Bank of England really did was just you know, fan the fire, right? They're like, they're, they're, lending was already bad enough in those days. They didn't want people to stop lending um, because people wouldn't have been able to cope. So they increased the liquidity in the markets, forced the banks to keep lending. And all that's done is just, you know, created even more of a problem. Everyone knew that it was going to break at some point. It was when we afforded to break. I don't think that it, that was right after a pandemic where we had been trapped in our houses and people had lost their jobs and had been on reduced income. So it was possibly the worst possible time for this, this to be hitting, but everyone knew it had to hit at some point. Mm-hmm. So interest rates are going to continue to rise. They're going to have to rise. You know, we had, about six months ago, we called you know, interest rates rising, inflation. Funny enough, on Facebook, people were saying, like, it's never going to happen. You know, like, we don't believe you. And I'm like, I just can't wait to put my comment on, you know, six months later on this old post and say, like, oh, do you remember that? Um, but no, I think we're going to see, you know, rates going up, uh, you know, a couple more percent in the next year. Um, you know, everything's going to get more expensive. But to be honest, we're, we're, we're only really just going back to the interest rates that we had, you know, five or five years ago or so. So it's not like it's only going to be dramatic for those that are relatively new to the investment space. But those obviously that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, they'll have experienced, you know, interest rates in the 80s of 15% and above. So, um, you know, out of crisis comes opportunity. Um, And I think that, to be honest, 90% of our client base are going to actually find the recession to be a fantastic opportunity. 
because they've got cash, they've got high-yielding properties, they're going to be able to pick up properties that have foreclosed, you know, which is obviously sad for the people that borrowed on them, but that's an opportunity for you know, the, the BRR strategy. Um, you're going to see, you know, a lot of our clients were recommending that they focus on higher value properties. So the time splits, for example, are a great opportunity because you're picking up these buildings that have higher value, which are probably going to have more professional tenants in place who might have inflation protected salaries. So professional tenants obviously can keep affording affording to pay rent. So you're you're as a, as an owner, you're more protected, shielded from you know uh, voids and such. Whereas obviously, if you're buying cheaper property, you know you know sub two hundred thousand, you know that are renting to tenants that probably aren't invariably in the professions, they might be struggling with their rental payments. You know, which means that the owners are probably going to be struggling with keeping tenants, actually getting paid by tenants, losing tenants. So for properties that are sort of sub 250, we're actually recommending clients to sell them and, and unlock that immediate profit and using that money for deposits to higher value properties to, to, to shield themselves. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're also actually bringing on a new broker. It's not official yet, so I won't mention any names, but we are bringing on a broker that uh, does happen to specialise in uh, foreclosures uh, to allow us to build a distressed debt desk so that actually for clients that are in financial distress, we actually have a specialist that is trained in providing them with expertise when it comes to you know, mitigating their existing position and financing their way out of it. Ooh, I like and, that. Um, and, and funny enough, actually, to avoid me having to give uh, generic uh, personal uh, potentially biased opinions about the economy. Um, we actually have a chief economist joining us on the 5th of September to, to start producing daily content for clients and, and our broader network. So they'll be obviously reading, you know, Bank of England's reports, National Statistics Office reports, and, and hopefully we'll be actually being uh, able to educate a lot of both our clients' uh, current and, and future with, you know, real statistics on the market that are useful because Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that gets printed in the press is quite sensationalist in nature. Uh, doesn't really have any key facts. It's just whatever will sell newspapers, right? So mm. providing our clients with a lot more active data that will hopefully help them designing their portfolios. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's what we all need in this time because it's all about being calm and moving forward with a level head. When you panic, things go wrong. So Exactly. I think you very much need to, you know, if, if you look at your property portfolio like a stock portfolio, I think that that's a, a you know, that, that's a good way of sort of detaching yourself because a lot of people get very emotionally invested in it with property being, you know, tangible in, in that sense. But in reality, you know, if you're if you're building a portfolio for investment purposes, you, you need to be detached. You need to be able to treat it like a line in a spreadsheet uh, and, and, and understand, you know, when is the right time to buy? How long do you need to hold it for? When is the right time to sell? And for example, with you know Dan Matthews, who I'm sure you know, my one of my most successful clients, he uh, he he recently bought a number of properties and was going to hold them. They were sort of 100, 150 thousand pounds. And I was sort of rationalising with him that based on the rental income after the cost of the mortgage, the amount of money you're going to make, you're going to have to wait 25 years to make the profit back that you could have made from just selling instantly. You know, but you know, you are going to make a, you know, I think buying them for 80, doing them up for 20, selling them for 150, right? 
why don't you treat it like a stock? Keep your eye on it, right? Because you actually mm-hmm. might find someone buys it off you for 150. You know, hopefully for their sake, they don't end up in this situation. But if rates do keep increasing, they might end up having to fire sale. You might have to buy back that property you sold them for 150 for 120, knowing full well that if you can ride out the recession, you can then trade that house again like an asset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So can I ask a little bit about the the state of lending at the moment? Because I have a lot of clients who are constantly asking me, Natasha, what does SaaS lending look like at the moment? What does bridging look like at the moment? Is it expensive? Um, are there products out there? And what kind of options do I have? Yes. Yeah, so I think with if you're looking at sort of term lending, the interest rate rises are being reflected almost immediately in pricing. So we get emails daily from lenders saying, great news, we've discontinued this product, but we've now launched this brand new product, which happens to be identical, but more expensive. <laughs> um, so almost all of the term lenders are changing, you know, changing their rates to reflect the increase in interest rates. Um, when it comes to bridging, what you're finding in development finance generally, which is a type of bridging, lenders want to lend. You know, they, they don't have the fallback of bank deposits. So they have to keep lending, otherwise they don't make any money. Um, so they are, many of them aren't changing their price of their funding. So you're still seeing rates following loan to value. So invariably, a 75% loan to value bridge will cost you about 0.75% a month. Uh, 50% can often be 0.5% and so on. But what you are seeing is a form of what I'd like to call synthetic quantitative easing. So in other words, they know that rates are getting more expensive, that people have less disposable income. Um, So what they're doing is they're increasing leverage, which is kind of like, you know, scary good thing, you know, if you know what I mean. It's like a double-edged sword, right? Because they're Mm -hmm. allowing clients to borrow more, which allows them to buy more. Um, But you know, if if used inappropriately, it could be dangerous because obviously rates are increasing. Um, but so what you're actually finding is that, you know, previously where lenders might have been at 75% loan to value, they're now going up to 85. Mm-hmm. That's happened as well in the mortgage space. So, for example, um, Interbay um, broke the mold. Commercial mortgages were traditionally always 65% loan to value, and they've issued a 75% loan to value commercial mortgage. So, again, being an, you know, in order to, enable them to keep lending they are providing liquidity through leverage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's, um, so it's very interesting right? so they um so they don't want people to stop borrowing in other words so if you can ultimately though you know the risk is so much greater with borrowing more of the money because you're levering against potentially a static purchase price so you know if clients can't afford a, a shortfall then you know they need to think very carefully about over leveraging um you know whereas with some of our other products right if you're improving the value of the property then to be honest you can afford to take a bit more leverage on purchase because you're going to improve the value of the property substantially so then you when you come out the other side and refinance or sell you you've offset that additional risk mm-hmm. so bridging i would sort of say that rates are staying roughly the same as they were pre the last two rises both uh, out of 
the lenders themselves wanting to lend and therefore trying to still be competitive. And if you think about it, even at 0.75 a month, that's sort of like, you know, 8% a year, right? So it's, 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 it's way better than, you know, your buy-to-let rates already um, yeah, and your base interest rate. Um, with the buy-to-let space, you know, rates are sort of three and a half, four and a half percent these days. So they're getting up to what previously used to be the commercial mortgage rate. Mm-hmm. And your commercial mortgages are sort of five and a half, six percent. Um, everything is really increasing in line with the base rate. So you can almost predict that whatever the base rate increases, that the lender will, will double it, right? So that they still make a, a comfortable profit. Um, but um, but I think, you know, as I, as I sort of mentioned earlier, you know, this particular situation, while distressing for many, uh, if you've been sensible with your investments and you have cash lying around, then, you know, now is the time to buy, you know, and they get, I can't remember if it's Warren Buffett or, or whoever, but, you know, the, the, the fund managers have always said, you know, you buy when everybody else is selling and sell when everybody else is buying. Yeah. And, and now we, you face those, those of you that have built your, your, your income up and have now started to enter into property. If you're, you know, if you've built yourself a war chest sensibly, as many of our clients were recommended to do so, um, you know, this is now a great opportunity to buy up distressed assets and, and make a, an even bigger profit than you would have from just, you know, renovating or improving it. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. And so in the SaaS lending market, what are we seeing? Because um, SaaS is really a hot topic at the moment, and probably mainly because I, I more of my clients have got SaaSs that we're investing in commercial property with. What does lending look like? in SASs at the moment? Are there options? Are there lenders willing to lend? Certainly. So, I mean, in the bridging and development space, you have a lot more choice as usual um, because, you know, it's it's just fundamentally a trust-based company. Um, often we uh, find that, uh, well, I can sort of run some numbers for you actually to make this easier, but um, let me see. So we have a database that we've developed, sort of a proprietary database of every lender in the market uh, and what they will lend on what products so whenever we have a new product that comes out we sort of add it to the database but i've got at least um 40 or so lenders that will do bridging and development funding for sasses okay <coughs> you know so that's you know again your short-term finance when the, you're purchasing or renovating a commercial property um we've obviously got our custom sas development finance that we've developed which allows clients to uh, buy land or an office within their SaaS, uh, convert it to residential, uh, and then exit it from their SaaS before it actually gets building control sign-off, which is when it would become taxable property, mm-hmm. but allowing them to obviously get that uplift in value into their SaaS as a result of exiting it either to themselves or or to a third party. Um, when it comes to commercial mortgages and SaaSs, that's where we get a lot more limited. So there are a number of names that are, so Redwood, uh, Barclays, Cambridge and Counties, Precise, uh, ICICI, and, and together are all quite happy to lend to SASs for commercial mortgages. The challenge you face is that a lot of them have quite high lending minimums. Okay. So whereas, you know, a normal commercial lender outside of a SAS will probably be quite happy to lend on a gross loan of 200,000, you know, Barclays in that list, for example, they want a minimum loan of a million in the SAS, which means that you have to have two trustees 
right? One trustee at lifetime allowance, but they would need a spare trustee just to have the additional capacity, right? Um, so that's kind of like, you know, that's them saying like, yeah, we'll lend to it, but uh, we'll make it impossible. Um, whereas conversely, you know, for example, like Redwood in Cambridge and counties, you know, we've looked at them for facilities of 200,000 um, pounds. And then to be honest, I think the real, the, the real challenge and one of the products we're currently trying to develop is actually the, the SAS commercial bridge to lease. Mm-hmm. In other words, a, a commercial bridge towards purchase and renovation and then an automatic exit into a commercial mortgage. Um, and that's a product that we're currently in the process of developing with Arbuthnet Latham. Um, so hopefully having a private bank to come on board and support us with developing a product for primarily SaaS clients would be exceptional because what we're trying to get them to, to do is to get them to say, well, we're happy to do a loan from 100,000 upwards. Because the whole goal, obviously, of a pension is to, to invest and, and create savings and then create a living for yourself once you retire. Unless, of course, you run the incredibly smart CMO strategy where you can create that income so much earlier. And I'm sure they can talk to you about that privately. But ultimately, you know, we want to get more people saving towards their pension, especially so that crises like the ones we're facing now aren't, don't have such an impact. So the, up till now, the challenge has been if you find a little shop on the high street for 75000 you're not going to get funding on it. Well, maybe a bridge, but you're not going to get a commercial mortgage. So we want to get a lender to come in and say, well, no, we'll support a lower loan size because, you know, we understand that what the client is trying to create a safety net in their pension. And therefore, we're willing to proactively help that client be sensible. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, the minute you've got that, Alistair, I have a line of clients that are are coming to you. So, you know, we'll be here lapping that up. Um, And so the other question that I get asked a lot is, what are lenders doing with clients who have missed payments, for example? Because that's more regular than most people think. And we get a lot of questions about that. Is that really detrimental? You know, one missed payment, for example, will that impact the amount of lenders that you can get access to? Yeah, so the high street will invariably probably be out of the question immediately. Um, they tend to want perfect credit scores. Um, you're ending up with having to go to the tier one and the tier two lenders who will take what is considered adverse credit. So a single mispayment, if there's a good ex- you know a good excuse for it, like I was on holiday and you know I forgot, or the direct debit got cancelled, or I changed my bank, invariably they will consider that. So you know we have cl- retail clients that if you have a uh, 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 scattering of problems with your credit report to write us a, a cover letter to explain why those came about um, and those invariably get looked at quite favorably I mean we've helped a client that had only recently settled an IVA borrow you know circa two million pounds for funding a property whereas they wrote us a lovely letter about how it was obviously personal uh, family situation that caused them to be in distress and they've since settled it and sorted things out and they were treated fairly equally as to a normal client without similar history. So as long as there's a backup, I think it generally can be mitigated. Um, if not, you're looking at going to lenders that obviously accept adverse credit and funny enough, out of the 300 or so we work with, 75% of them will um, because they will charge you more. So ultimately they will either decrease leverage or charge you more interest I've seen things that, you know, certain lenders that have, you know, they're like, 
one or two problems, 1% more, three or four problems, 2% more, and so on. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's not really fair, really. You think that, you know, if they're struggling, you know, and they're trying to build, uh, you know, side income that will take them out of financial distress, don't put them in more financial distress by charging them more, you know. Uh, but uh, but there you go. I mean, you get paid, you know, you pay less the wealthier you are, right? Mm-hmm. So the um, so I think the that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be overly concerned as long as it's explainable. Um, I do remember as well a situation of a client of ours in the past that we managed to get them a mortgage, even though their credit report showed that they'd missed six months worth of mortgage payments. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a, and a, but the, he had a good response. He said, you know, he got divorced and his wife decided to keep the income from the property, but chose not to pay the mortgage because it was in his name. But uh, yeah, so there's there's options out there for everyone. You just got to look hard enough. I think a lot of a lot of um, you know a, a lot of people will take the easy option. They will call the person they know, and if that's a no, then it's a no. You know, we actually, except with our custom products, where generally there is only one lender. Um, with with most of our products, if you know you're working with anyone on our team, you know we will go to every single lender that we think fits the criteria of the deal. So if we have to talk to 200 lenders, we will to try and get that that deal and you know often there is going to be a lender that might have just changed their their criteria and so there if as long as you're talking to everyone then you're then there's probably going to be an option for you it's whether or not the the option makes the transaction viable mm-hmm. so can i ask as a final question then for investors listening who are concerned about whether they get they would get finance on a deal how innovative can they be um what can they they do they can see this deal they can see this property that completely stacks up to them but it's kind of a little little bit more interesting than your traditional um your traditional investment how would you tell them to think about getting finance and what would they need to present to you for you to be able to start thinking about it innovatively too well, I would literally say just get in touch with us. But um, <laughs> yeah, so ultimately, so well, we require all of the same things that uh, other brokers would, uh, all lenders would. So proof of ID, proof of address, credit report, bank statements, company bank statements if buying the, in an entity, um, and your the experience of the the client. Um, but when it comes to actually the structuring, um, again, we might already have a product that suits that client's needs. But it, it invariably comes from these conversations. So we will, you know, I generally talk to every single client that comes to finance before either handling them myself or delegating within the team. But we, in, you know, invariably, it will be a case of asking them to, you know, send us the details on the property. What is it they're trying to achieve? What it is that they have that they think builds the, the case for a different type of funding? And then we would actually go, and take that information to lenders and try and get them to buy into the product. So, for example, if you take the title splits, for example, I, I went to every lender in the market to get them to support a transaction which fundamentally, except for land registry, um, doesn't really have any risk if you think about it because it's it's kind of like a below market value purchase. Just the, the difference is the vendor doesn't realise they're selling below market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the... When I was explaining it to the lenders, I was trying to say, like, look, ultimately, you're, you might be lending up to 100% of purchase price, but the minute this property completes, it will be a multi-unit leasehold block. 
So you're only lending 70% of the revised open market value. So you're actually lending on the same parameters that you would normally anyway. Yep. It's just that we happen to buy it cheaper, significantly cheaper. Um, and you know, a lot of lenders wrote back and sort of said, like, Alistair, I'm sorry, but we're not really in the business of buying other people's houses. I said, well, you should be, because if you help them buy one house, they'll buy a lot more houses. And, and hopefully each time they'll start decreasing their leverage, uh, you know, which means that you get more skill in the game, and but you're still earning fees. So if you don't give them the opportunity to buy the property in the first time, then they'll probably not even bother. And that's income that we've lost. Um, you know, whereas with, for example, with the, the developments in the SASs, right? So so many SAS clients want to retain the properties. So the only what we'd built so far was this development to exit product, the idea that you invest in the SaaS, buy the land, uh, borrow the works, convert it to residential and then sell it before to your external entity before it becomes residential, right, uh, with building control sign off. But then so many clients were telling us that they wanted to keep the properties. We started thinking about, well, let's try and save them some money. So instead of them having to refinance the whole facility, onto a buy-to-let, why don't we create a development-to-let product? Mm -hmm. So that's another one that we're launching this month. So a, a turnkey development funding with a buy-to-let built in at the end so that you can save money by only paying the, you know, you would pay fees on when you move to buy-to-let, but only on the increase in value, not on the whole facility again. Mm -hmm. uh, and so many of our products have come out as a result of trying to save clients money so that hopefully they can build a bigger portfolio quickly. And I think... I think our most successful client so far is, is a chap called Dan Matthews, who's getting quite a lot of uh, fame at the moment because he went from him and his business partner, Jonathan D. They they started out uh, in, in in October last year with about £50,000. Uh, and now they have a portfolio worth four and a half million, in, uh, which is not bad in seven months. And I think they've got another eight and a half million that they're currently that's sitting in our pipeline that we're waiting to fund. So. You know, he, he told me the other day that his target was 100 million. And I'm like, oh, well, not ambitious at all, are we? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but you know, to be honest, it, 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 it's, it's actually possible. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, so if, you're, if you've got a challenge, it's going to sound like the intro theme to the A-team, uh, you know, but if there is a, a, an opportunity that you found and, you know, and you have non-traditional funding, you know, just let's have a chat, you know, because it's, uh, we might have already solved it. And if we haven't, we might be able to solve it with a product with your name on it. Amazing. Amazing. Alistair, this conversation has been incredible. Um, I'm going to put, if you don't mind, your email address and every all of your contact details in the show notes below. Um, I've also already got it scheduled to go out in our weekly newsletter. So if you're listening to this and you've clicked through from the newsletter, Alistair's contact details are in that newsletter. Please use them. Get in contact with Alistair and ask him about finance. Thank you, Alistair, for coming on the podcast today. It's been Thanks awesome. No problem. And for all of you listening, thank you for listening today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon. <laughs>